uh, it's hard to even express the things that happen inside the heart of a pastor when you get to worship with people, especially around Christmas. I want to say Merry Christmas. It, it is so meaningful to us that you're here, and I just want you to know that we've been praying, and we've been praying a lot for everyone that would be around our worship gatherings over this Christmas season, that it would be deeply meaningful for all of us. That's what we've been praying for. And I'm just gonna go out there and say it. I love Christmas. For me, it genuinely is the most wonderful time of the year. I love everything about it. Uh, I love the Christmas music, uh, even though my wife Carmen has been playing it since about October. Is that about, about right? I'm still not sick of it, even since October. I love the movies. Who doesn't love Elf? Who doesn't want to see Elf? I like smiling, smiling's my favorite. Got to go downtown and watch White Christmas at the Ellen. Got to see the lights go on at the Christmas stroll. I love everything about Christmas. It's just such a unique time in our culture because the Christian calendar and our culture kind of collide and we celebrate this holiday that talks about the coming of Jesus to this earth. Now I want you to understand, I'm not naive. I understand that in the commercialization of Christmas and in the hustle and bustle of this season, that oftentimes Jesus gets lost in the mix. But not tonight. Tonight, friends, we're gonna hold up the truth about Christmas. What it means that Jesus came to earth. Because when we think about what Christmas really means, it's important because it tells us very, very important truths about what God is like. What are the things that are on the heart of God? What are the things that actually matter to him? Now, in a group this size, I understand and I realize that I don't know what your thoughts about God are, what your thoughts about Jesus are. But this I can assure you, Jesus has thoughts about you. He knows that you're here. I believe that no one is here by accident. And this is what I believe to be true and what I know to be true, is that he wants to reveal himself to you. Because that's what the story of Christmas is all about. God being willing to make himself known in a profound, profound way. As we step into the scriptures today, we're gonna to look at this Christmas story through a little different lens than we normally do. We're not gonna to go to the gospels and talk about the Mary and Joseph story so much. We're gonna look at the Christmas story through the lens of the Apostle Paul. See, there was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. In this section of this book that we're gonna look at today, some believe that this was an early hymn or an early creed of the church that they would say over and over again to remind them of the magnitude of what God did when he came to earth in the incarnation. Paul wants us to understand the theology of the incarnation. We're gonna be looking at Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five, and right at the very beginning, Paul starts out by asserting the divinity of Jesus. Here's what Paul tells us in verse five. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And now listen to these next four words. Though he was God. Paul just says it right there. Jesus, he was God. 
Now, when we celebrate Christmas, we talk about the birth of Jesus. But the birth of Jesus was not the beginning of Jesus. You see, friends, Jesus had no beginning. He was eternal, existing always. There was never a time that Jesus didn't exist. And when we read the Gospels, the Gospel writers wanted us to understand this so clearly when the Apostle John, the disciple John, wrote his book, The Gospel of John, this is what he said right away to get people to understand the divinity of Jesus. John chapter one, verse two. Speaking of Jesus, he says, he was with God in the beginning. John wants us to understand there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from the very beginning, all three of them, in relationship with one another for all eternity, eternity past to eternity future. But then he speaks this clearly about Jesus. He says, all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. See, John wants us to understand that as well. Jesus had no beginning. He was not created. Not only was he not created, John is telling us Jesus himself was the creator. When we think about the the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, the very first page when it says that God said, let there be, and everything that we know that was created was created, saying that was the voice of Jesus. He, in fact, is the creator. Every rock, every tree, every animal, every planet, every star, every person, you and me, we were created by him. Paul wants us to understand Jesus was fully God, the eternal creator. But then Paul also wants us to understand that he who was fully God became fully man. That is the story of Christmas. The creator, the creator himself became a creature and came to a cradle, a cradle, a little cradle in a barn in Bethlehem. God came near. And here's how Paul describes it as he continues in verse six. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to, something to grab a hold of. It says, instead, he gave up. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble, hear that word, humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Humble. Humility. In humility, God came to us and he became a person. But did you hear the kind of person that he came as? Not as some kind of a conquering hero. It says he came as a slave a servant of people. Friends, that's what God is like. Jesus, who was once larger than the universe, think about this, friends. He became an embryo. God became an embryo. The one who created and sustains everything that we see. Himself, suddenly, was becoming dependent upon the womb of a little teenage girl. And God grew in that womb. Think about this, friends. God was given eyebrows. God was given elbows. God was given earlobes. God was being fashioned as a man. 
And again, he he didn't come with a flash of lightning and as a conquering hero, but he came as one who was born of a little peasant girl and a humble carpenter in a Bethlehem barn. Think about this. Those first hands that held God in this world, they were unmanicured hands. They were calloused hands of a carpenter. They were the dirty hands of his father. God came near. Think about this. That voice that spoke into the darkness and created everything that we see is now crying in a Bethlehem barn. And as angels look on, they watch as God grows up. Angels look down and they watch Mary changing the diaper of God. The universe is looking on as the great I am takes his first feeble steps and learns to walk. God came near. God played in the streets with other little boys and girls, just like every other little Jewish boy. God came near. Think about this. God listened to sermons in the synagogue. How much pressure would that be for the rabbi if he knew who was sitting in his audience? But he did everything that we experienced. He experienced everything during his 33 years of life that we would experience. God came and he learned and he experienced what it was like to feel weak. God knew what it was like to feel weary. He knew what it was like to feel the fear of failure. God, as Jesus, got headaches. God burped. God had body odor. His feelings got hurt and his feet got tired. Now, friends, is there something in you that's getting a little bit uncomfortable as I talk about him in this way? Man, it certainly does for me. Because there's something about talking about the humanity of God in this way that feels irreverent. And and something, we want to sometimes, we want to take the humanity out of the incarnation. We want to somehow, maybe we can kind of sweep away the manure that was around the manger that he was born in. Maybe we can somehow try to wipe the sweat from his brow or the snot from his nose. There's something, friends, I think, that when we just try to keep Jesus as divine, it makes him distant. If we can just make him packaged and predictable, just kind of put him in this little box that's out there, don't do it. Let Jesus be as human as he intended to be. Because friends, it's only when we allow Jesus to humbly come down into the muck and the mire and the junk of this world, and maybe I'll even say it this way, when we humbly let him come into the muck and the mire and the junk of our lives, that he is able to grab a hold of us and pull us out. Because friends, that's what he came to do. That's why Jesus came. In humility, the creator came to the cradle. But Paul's gonna tell us that in humility, he went from the cradle to the cross because he wanted to give us life. Here's how the apostle Paul says it. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. Hear it again, humbled. God 
humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. It wasn't just his birth that was humble. Jesus' entire life was marked by humility. For 30 years of his life, he lived in relative obscurity. Nobody really knew who he was or what he was up to. And then when we look at the ministry years of his life, the three years that are recorded in the Gospels, his life was marked by loving the unlovable. It was marked by being willing to get down on his knees and wash the feet in a servant's way of the people that were around him. He was a God who was humble and served. And he died the most humble death that you can imagine, a Roman crucifixion. But Paul wants to make it really, really clear here to us. Nobody humbled Jesus but himself. He humbled himself. Herod didn't humble Jesus. Pilate, even though he sentenced Jesus, he didn't humble Jesus. Those Roman soldiers that stripped him of his clothes, nailed him to a cross, and hung him up naked for the world to see, they didn't humble him. Paul says, Jesus humbled himself. Humbled himself to experience the most humiliating death that anyone could experience, a Roman crucifixion. Roman citizens were not even allowed to be executed in this way. And the Jews at that time believed that anyone that died in this way was considered to be cursed of God. But yet here's Jesus, the creator, dying in that way, dying on the cross for sinners like me, like you. There he was. Not only the physical agony of that death on a cross, but the abandonment of God, taking upon himself the guilt and the shame and the sin and the wrath of God for the sin of the world. He humbly did it out of his great love for us. God is humble. When Jesus went to the climax of his life. He didn't climb up onto an earthly throne to rule over people. He climbed up on to a Roman cross and died for us. Friends, he lived the kind of life that every one of us should live. And he died the kind of death that every one of us deserves to die, but he did it in our place as our substitute. God humbled himself. But that cross, that's not the end of the story. The creator came to the cradle. He went to the cross. But there's more to the story. Jesus gets a crown. This is how Paul describes it, verse 9. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, at Christmas, we celebrate the reality that Jesus came to earth. But Paul wants us to understand as well that Jesus is coming again. And this time, it won't be hidden. Everyone will know. Everyone will know that Jesus was who he claimed to be. 
See, when Jesus came as a man, it made it possible for us to see how God thinks, to see what God is like. What does this life look like when God lives it? And when Jesus went to the cross, he made it possible for us to be reconciled to God so that our sins could be paid for, that we could have a relationship with him. And when he rose and ascended into heaven, he made a way for us to be able to spend eternity with God forever, to be with him. And this is the beautiful story of Christmas. When Jesus ascended into heaven, when he went to his throne, when he went to his home, he left the back door open. And he reaches down through time and space and offers his hand to us. That is the story of Christmas. What are we gonna do with the story of Christmas? What are we gonna do with this invitation that God gives us? When I look at this Christmas story, it's interesting. There's, there's lots of different ways that people responded to the magnitude of what Jesus did. There, were, there was Herod. Remember Herod? He was the one who heard that there was gonna be this baby boy that was born in Bethlehem that was gonna be king of the Jews. But Herod says to himself, wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. And here's what Herod knows. He's a smart guy, evil guy, but a smart guy. He says, there's only room for one king on the throne. And Herod was not about to scooch over and give Jesus a spot next to him on the throne. He knew there was only room for one king. And that's why he said, I'm gonna do everything I can to rid the earth of this Jesus, this king of the Jews. There's only room for one king. I learned this the hard way growing up in the town that I grew up. We had a playground, a big playground, and they would take the snow and they would move it off of the playground. And when they did this over the winter, it would create this huge mound. And now I was only like five or six years old, so it probably wasn't as big as I imagined it back then, but we would play this game. You guys already know what game I'm talking about. King of the Hill. And there was only room for one person on the top of the hill, and everyone was fighting. You know, you'd kind of try to sneak up behind and get behind someone, and you would push them off, and you know, they're going down, and as they're sliding down, no more than that, and then someone pushes you, and you're sliding down, and it goes on and on because there's only room for one person on the top of that hill. And there was always the same thing, always ruined the game. It was a recess teacher. She'd come over, somebody's gonna get hurt. But there was also something that ended the game most often, and that was a sixth grade bully. Because the sixth grade bully walks up and he finds himself at the top of the hill and the rest of us little kids, you know, kindergarten, first grade, we're just like, yeah, he's got it. It's all about him. One king. There's only room for one king of the hill. Friends, there's only room for one king in our heart, my heart, your heart. Jesus was made to be king of our hearts. But here's the problem. We all, every one of us, we've got at least a little King Herod in us because we don't want to share the throne of our life. We want to be the master of our fate. We want to be the captain of our soul. We want to call the shots. I don't know that I want to follow Jesus. And when we're unwilling to place him rightfully on the throne of our life, we miss him. We miss him completely. And Jesus, my friends, he's not a sixth grade bully. 
He's not gonna push you off to take the throne of your life. We need to humbly, willfully invite him to take his rightful place on the throne of our life or we miss him just like Herod missed him. I think about the innkeeper. He missed Jesus. Now, he wasn't evil like Herod. He's just busy. I mean, Augustus Caesar says, we're gonna do a census throughout the whole Roman Empire. So everybody's gotta go back to their hometown and we're gonna count everybody. This means that the hotels were full. VRBOs hadn't caught on quite as big as they are right now. It was tough to find places to stay. So in the middle of the night, when there's a knock on the door, and there's this peasant girl and this humble carpenter, he wasn't evil, he was just busy. I got things to do. I've gotta run this in. The guests are gonna be up in the morning. I've gotta take care of them. You go out to the stable. I just don't think that much has changed in 2,000 years. I think for so many of us, there are knocks on the door of our life. God is knocking in different ways, but we're just busy. We're chasing the things of this world, we're chasing the things of this life, and we're continually sending God away, whether we know it or not. I don't know if the innkeeper ever knew that he sent Jesus out to the barn, that he sent God out to the barn. And I don't know if we realize how often we're sending God away in our life, but we're missing him so many times. When I think about the Christmas story, though, I think about the shepherds, the humble shepherds. And friends, I think we can learn a ton from these humble, humble shepherds. And if you've been around Christmas stories enough, you know that if there's a, a social pecking order in the culture, the shepherds were at the very bottom. They had no economic status, no social status, nothing. They were the bottom rung. No education, nothing, just humble shepherds. But isn't it interesting that God went to the humble first. And look at their response. When the angels told them what was true about Jesus. Okay, they were a little freaked out at first, but then they humbly obeyed. They just did what the angels asked them to do and they went to Jesus, they bowed their knee and they worshiped him. And it must have changed something in them because the scriptures tell us that they left and they joyfully began to tell everyone about what they had seen and what they had heard. The humble shepherds met Jesus at Christmas. I think if there's a word that summarizes what Paul is trying to say here is that Christmas is about humility. Christmas is about the humility of God being willing to leave his throne in heaven and come to this earth and live life as a humble man. But it's also about us taking ourselves to a place of humility so that we can actually find God. When God made himself humble, we need to make ourselves humble in order to be able to find him. Are we willing to humble ourselves to find God at Christmas? Because the story of Christmas, friends, it means that all of us need help. We are unable to rescue ourselves. That's why God had to come to earth. And nothing other than the death of Jesus in our place as our substitute is the only thing that can rescue us. See, the, the message of Jesus when he came at Christmas, it wasn't like, come on, you guys, pull it together, would you? You know, lift yourself up by your bootstraps. 
Start living a good moral life. Get it together. That was not the message of Christmas. But we can actually experience the gift of Christmas when we're able to humbly admit our need. That we become humble in the same way that God was humble. That we need to be saved by his grace. We need to give up control of our life. We need to put the king in Bethlehem as the king of our life. And rightly so, that's where he belongs. And it's the story of Christmas where God says, I came in weakness to come for the weak. I come for those who are willing to admit that they are weak. And I will rescue them, not because of what they do for me, but only because of what I do for them. God initiates it. And the beauty of Christmas is that by God's initiation, he says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what is in your past, the skeletons in your closet, the deep, dark secrets. I don't care how big you've messed up. I've come for you. I came for you. I went to heaven and I left the back door of heaven open. Will you grab my hand? It's the message of Christmas. I just wonder today, as we're all here, maybe there's people that you're just thinking, I need his hand. I need his hand today. I need to grab his hand. Friends, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. What I'm gonna ask everyone to do is if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna simply read a prayer. There's no magic in these words, but this prayer is just a prayer of faith that we would say to God, I want what you've offered at Christmas. If there's something stirring in you, this is what I would ask you to do. Would you just in your heart, in the quietness of your heart, pray this along with me right now. Jesus, thank you for loving me personally by becoming a person so that I could know you and have a real relationship with you. Thank you for breaking down all the barriers that keep me from knowing and experiencing you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin, my guilt, my shame. Jesus, you didn't wait for me to get it all together but you move toward me. And I want to humbly respond to you today by moving toward you. Jesus, I need you. I open up my life to you today and I receive you today as my true king and my true savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me eternal life. I wanna turn from my sin today and I wanna turn to you. Take control of my life and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Amen. One of the greatest decisions that any of us will ever make is that decision to allow that king that was born in Bethlehem to be the king of our life today. Friends, if you made that decision today, I want to ask you to do this. Will you tell someone? Will you tell someone that you made that decision? And friends, we wanna be a church for you. We wanna help you learn how to follow this king in this life. 
So we just, I just want to invite you now that over this next year, would you be a part of that with us as we learn to follow him as our king? Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.